may be wondering what in the world is going on. Did Brandon not realize it was time for him to preach? You know, that's what he gets paid for. Actually, I did know it was my time to come up. All of this is actually a part of my introduction to today's sermon. How did this moment make you feel? Awkward? Impatient? Embarrassed? Frustrated? Unsettled? Anxious? Confused? Nervous? While you consider that, I'm going to dismiss Bridge Kid. We Americans, as a general rule, are people of action. We don't take long lunches like the French. We don't take siestas like the Spanish. I do. We don't look forward to our pensions like the English. We don't even wait for the crosswalk like to change like the Germans. We're not fatalistic like the Bangladeshi. Is there anybody else left to offend? We are a go-go people. We are busy, busy, busy. We value productivity. We don't like waiting around. Friends, unfortunately, this value is antithetical to the season we are now in. Today marks the first Sunday of the season of the church calendar, which is called Advent. That term Advent comes from a Latin word meaning coming. This is a season of celebration and anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Advent is about waiting and watching. And here we are. We get uneasy after two minutes. After two minutes, after two seconds, we're thinking, what is wrong with Brandon? After two minutes, we get uneasy, unsettled. We are people 
that not are that are not accustomed to watching and waiting. After all, if we want our food right now, we just go to the microwave. Forget the oven. Forget the crock pot. We want it now. We are so unaccustomed to watching and waiting that we don't go into the restaurant anymore. We drive through. Matter of fact, I don't even want to drive through. I want to drive by. Just toss it in. to get to the restaurant and order my food, I want to call ahead. And this whole thing of cash only, that takes too long to buy my gifts so I'll just swipe my credit card. I'll pay later. We don't like to wait. we were just honest with one another today, we would all have to admit, most of us would have to admit that Advent, the season of watching and waiting, can be quite intrusive. It confronts us with how comfortable, uncomfortable we are with waiting. It exposes our false idols are false gods of efficiency and convenience. Advent forces us to slow down, breathe, rest, reflect, remember, rejoice, wait. Today, we begin a new sermon series for Advent entitled Incarnate, Why the Manger Matters. And so over the next four Sundays, we're going to dive deep into our statement of faith on Jesus Christ. And here is how our statement of faith reads. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person and two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. This is our formal belief concerning Jesus Christ. This is what we believe as the British church. This is what every member has covenanted that they agree with. And so this is what we want to go through over the next four weeks. And so today, I want us to look at the first part of the statement. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God. Fully God. Turn with me and your Bibles to the New Testament book of John. The New Testament book of John. 
you don't have a Bible, a physical copy of God's Word, we have a few at the table, at the hospitality table. You're free to get up right now and go get one. We celebrate people wanting a copy of God's Word. Matter of fact, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word that you own, take that as our gift to you. We also will have it on the screen. The New Testament of the Bible, John chapter 1, and I want to read the first 14 verses. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And here is how reads God's holy word. Our custom here at the Bridge Church is to stand out of reverence, honor, respect of God's holy word. So if you're willing and able, we'd ask that you stand with us. John chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. God incarnate. In order to understand this passage, we have to come to an understanding of this term, word. In the beginning was the word, the logos. A person's word is the means by which they, he or she reveals what he is thinking. Through words, we understand a person's logic. It is through words that we express ourselves. If you remember in the Old Testament, as we were studying the books of Amos and Hosea, one of the recurring phrases was the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was simply God revealing himself, his person, his nature, his will, his wisdom, his truth. Jesus is the word. He is the ultimate self-expression of God. Jesus unveils God. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, the ultimate self 
disclosure of God. And John is simply saying to us this morning, the revelation of God is now incarnate. That's what Advent and Christmas is all about. So now, as we look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the first thing that John shows us is the pre-incarnate Christ. Verses 1 through 5, the pre-incarnate Christ. What does he show us? The first thing that John reveals to us about the pre-incarnate Christ is that he is, first of all, pre-existent. He is pre-existent. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, those of us who are familiar with Scripture, those first three words ought to immediately take our mind back to another time in Scripture, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning is how Genesis 1-1 starts. What Paul is, what, excuse me, what John is doing here in John chapter 1 Verse 1 is showing us that Jesus actually predates Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 is where we go for the beginning of all of creation. But John here is saying, before Genesis 1-1 was Jesus. The Word, there, there was never a time when the Word was not. Let me say it like this. The Word always was, the Word always is, and the Word always will be. This plain and literal interpretation of John 1 has not always been the case throughout the history of the church. And by the way, I believe it's important. You know we just went in October, we went we did some church history as far as the Reformation is concerned. I want to give us some more church history today because it has been said that those who do not remember their history are doomed to repeat it. We are making history right now in the church. And so I want us to be aware of our history as the church. In 318 A.D., a Presbyterian elder by the name of Arius began publicly proclaiming that Jesus was not fully God. He believed and taught that Jesus was simply a celestial servant of the true Most High God who alone was almighty, transcendent, and the creator and first cause of all things. By asserting and teaching and believing that God the Father was the creator and first cause of all things, he made Jesus to be the first creation of God. Friends, if Jesus was created, then he has a definite beginning, which means that he is no longer eternal. This was a huge debate in the 4th century. A few years later, Constantine, who had converted to Christianity, sought to put an end to all of this debate that threatened to divide his empire. So he convened an ecumenical council to deal with this issue of the, the divinity of Christ in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. 
And from this council was produced what we know now as the Nicene Creed. This is one of the great creeds of the church. Here is how it reads. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven and he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made a human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Woo! My running shoes. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. The pre-existence of Christ, friends, is essential for two reasons. First, it confirms for us that Christ was not created. If Christ was created, then he would have been less than God. And if he was less than God, then he could not be the perfect sacrifice necessary to atone for the sin of the world. In other words, if Christ is less than God, he is unable, there it is, to save us from our sins. Furthermore, if he were a created being, then he would not be worthy of our worship. We would all be guilty of sin today as much as we just sang about Jesus. Remember, God's wrath comes Upon man, because uh, according to Romans 1.25, we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Secondly, the preexistence of Christ matters because it means that the word, Jesus himself, is eternal. If the word is eternal, then the word has to be God. Jesus is co-eternal with God. As long as the Father was, the Son was. As long as the Father is, the Son is. As long as the Father will be, the Son will be. 
So then John, what he is doing here is showing us that Jesus is God. Now, he makes it clear, secondly, that Jesus, not only is he pre-existent, but he's also co-existent. Look, at the beginning was the word, here's this coexistence, and the word was with God. The literal translation of this sentence from the Greek is the word was toward God. In other words, the word was face-to-face with God. He was in perfect fellowship and communion with the Father. And the significance of the coexistence of the word is that the word is distinct from the Father. The word is his own person. This truth Truth gives us a glimpse into the doctrine of the Trinity. We saw that in the Nicene Creed. Our God is three and one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, all of the same nature and essence. That's why we don't serve three gods, but one God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is as fully God as the Father. Everything that the Father is, the Son ends. Two different persons, but they are of the same nature. And friends, this truth is what makes Christianity Christian. You say, Brandon, you just taught us about all that church history, and you taught us about Arianism. Is that significant for today? You bet. Arianism is not dead. Jehovah Witnesses, they're going to come knocking at your door, and I want you to be equipped to deal with the the, the basic foundation of the falsehood of the Jehovah Witness movement. Jehovah Witnesses deny Jesus as God. And therefore, they deny the Trinity. Mormons deny the full divinity of Jesus. They think we're all little gods, spirit children. Matter of fact, Mormons believe that, that, that they believe in the distinction, distinction of the Father and the Son, but they don't believe that they are still both the same God. They also would deny the Trinity. Arianism is still alive and well. Many people become Muslim because they don't understand the Trinity. Therefore, we, we as the people of God must know that if Jesus is not God, he is not the Christ. If Jesus is not the God, he is not the promised Messiah. If Jesus is not God, Christianity falls apart. If Jesus is not God, we believe in vain. If Jesus is not God, we are a people to be most pitied because we believe in a false God. If Jesus is not God, 
we have no hope. If Jesus is not God, you are not saved. If Jesus is not God, we're all hell bound. His pre-existence, his coexistence, we're still talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. Not only does John point out his pre-existence and his coexistence, but he also show us, shows us his self-existence. He, the word, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here's what we mean by the self-existence of Christ. What we're saying is the word does not rely or depend on anything or anyone else for existence. Everything depends on Christ, but Christ depends on nothing. He is self-existent. The word is the agent of creation. Again, we go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, there's the word, let there be light, and there was light. Notice, God speaks, and things come into being. The word brings order out of chaos. Through the word, things come into being. Jesus is the agent of creation. All things exist because of him. He is transcendent to creation. He's self-existent. Not only is his self-existence evident from creation, but it's also evident in life. Look at the text. Verse 4 says, he is the life. Notice, Jesus doesn't receive life from any other source. The word is the source of life, which means that he's not a created being. It's in Christ's church that we live and move and have our being. Everything, everybody owes its existence to Christ. And so our response to this truth is to worship our creator. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. But John not only shows us the pre-incarnate Christ on his way to uh, the incarnate Christ, but he also shows us, secondly, the promised Christ. Verses 6 through 9. The promised Christ. Look with me at the man who prophesied. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This verse refers to John the Baptist, not John who is writing this gospel. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. And notice now what the text says about him. He was sent from God. Notice, friends, who it is that takes the initiative. It is God. God is the subject. God is the actor. God is the initiator. God is the one who sends the prophet to speak his word. 
God takes the initiative in announcing to men that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. God, friends, is the grand initiator of our salvation. God takes the initiative by sending. And this is always the modus operandi of God. He is a sending God. Advent is a reminder for us to watch and to wait for God to send Christ to the earth. Even on this side of Calvary and the resurrection, we are waiting for God to send his son again. We're now, we, we were we're celebrating in an end in anticipation of the second advent when Jesus Christ will come back to rule and to reign, to judge all men living and dead. We now wait a second time of Christ's coming when he will make all things right. There will be no more injustice in the world. He will make it all right. And so now we wait in anticipation. God is sending his son. And so now this season is to remind us that we live between the times. Between the first sending and the second sending, we now are just like Israel and, uh, uh, during the first advent. We are now in a season of watching and waiting for our Savior to come and to return. This is the man who prophesied. Let me show you the mission of the prophet. Verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The mission of the sent one, that's a missionary by the way, was to give testimony that the light of the world had arrived. His job was to speak about Christ. And just like God sent John, now Christ has sent us. Our tasks are to be the new John the Baptist. We are to be witnesses about the light who is Jesus Christ. Advent, friends, is about the light invading darkness. And our task, like John the Baptist, is to broadcast to a dark world that there is light in Jesus. Through Jesus, we can be delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Friends, I don't know about you, but I believe we live in a dark world. There are wars and rumors of wars. Murder. Crime of every kind, hatred. We live in a dark world, church. But we are not a people that though we live in darkness, we don't despair. Because we have the light of Jesus Christ. And our job is to bring this light into this dark world. We are sent ones. That's the promise, Christ. Now John reveals to us the present Christ, verses 10 through 14. John ends this prologue of his gospel by teaching on the incarnation of Christ. 
he says in verse 10 that the light came into the world, the same world that he made. And then his report becomes tragic. Look at his rejection. The text says that the same world that Christ made did not recognize him. They did not know him. That word know means to have personal, intimate fellowship with. The world did not have a relationship with him because generally speaking, it rejected him. Verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people were Jewish people, but yet they rejected him because they did not know him. He was an unexpected Messiah, born in a stable of filthy animals, born to common people, born under scandalous circumstances. He didn't come in grandeur grandeur and, 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 and power. He didn't come riding on a white horse. He would ride a donkey. He was an unexpected Messiah. They did not know him. They were looking for a military leader to deliver them from the oppression of Roman occupation. They failed to recognize him as the Prince of Peace. Despite the report of John the Baptist, they rejected Christ. Despite the report of the Old Testament prophets, they rejected Christ. Despite the signs and the miracles that Christ performed, they still rejected him. They refused to believe that he was the Son of God sent by God to save a special people for God. And friends, this is evidence that people are in darkness. To reject Christ is to reject eternal life. And friends, before Christ, we are these people. Without the Holy Spirit doing a work in our heart, our nature is to reject him. We, we believe that we are self-sufficient. We believe in pluralism, that there is more than one way to be right with God. We believe that there are multiple ways to be saved. So we reject this Christ. We are people of darkness. We are citizens of the kingdom of darkness without a new heart. John shows us his rejection, but John also shows us his reception. Look, look at verse 12. To all who received him, who believed in his name, to them. Y'all been quiet on me this morning, so help me preach. Say, 
to them. Oh, y'all all alive and awake out there. To them, he gave the right to become the children of God. To receive Christ is to believe Christ. To those who believed in his name. To believe in his name does not mean to believe that his name was Jesus. To believe in his name was to believe in his total person. It was to trust that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was the promised Messiah who died on the cross, was buried, and rose on the third day. To those who believed, they received a new status, a new identity. Instead of being an object of God's wrath, people of darkness, they now became children of God. Look, friends, at the exclusivity here. The text says it was only to those who believed that are children of God. If you do not believe, trust, put all your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ for, for salvation and forgiveness of sins, you are not a child of God. Let me clear up this lie. We do not all have the same father. If I, was, if I was back home in the country, probably I would say something like this right now. Who's your daddy? That's what y'all gonna remember about this sermon. The awkward introduction and who's your daddy. That is not the title of this sermon, Jeff. All mankind does not have the same father. This text makes it clear that only to those who believe are children of God. This is exclusive. There is not more than one way. There are not multiple ways. There is only one way. What is that way? Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but through me. There is no other way, saints. It's only to those who believe. To all who don't believe, you still have eternal life. It's just in hell. The place of God's wrath. However, to all who receive Jesus, to all who are born again, you become a new creation in Christ. And Christmas, Advent, is reminded that God has a gift that is available to all but it's to all who believe. This gift, my friends, can only be received by turning to Jesus Christ and him alone by faith. Jesus is the greatest gift ever. Today, receive this gift by faith. We see his rejection, his reception. Finally, look with me at his residence. John makes this point clear in verse 14. When he says, and the word became flesh, 
and dwelt among us. God put on flesh. He just couldn't come in all his glory, otherwise we'd all die. And so he cloaked himself in human flesh. Jesus is God incognito. God entered our space and time. In the incarnation, the invisible becomes visible. In the incarnation, the infinite becomes finite as a man. And this is the miracle and mystery of Christmas. God became man and pinched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. He took up resident with us. <laughs> Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The sinless came and tabernacled, dwelled among sin, the sinners. He that was full of glory came and dwelled among those who would fall short of his glory. The first part of John's prologue, he, he argues that Jesus is divine because Jesus is God. He was with God and he was God. Now he makes the point that not only is he God, but he's man, human as well. Well, we'll take up that point next week. But before I close, I think there's a lesson that the incarnation can teach all of us. First of all, I think the incarnation is a pattern for Christian mission. The incarnation is a model for Christian mission. Just as Christ became incarnate and dwelled among his people, so must we be incarnational people. We must learn how to become incarnational to the people we want to see reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must go where they are and stop expecting them just to come to us. What's the Great Commission? First word of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go. Rewind. Press play. What's the first word in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19? Do what you just said. To be incarnational is to enter into the time and space of culture. We must, we, we cannot retreat from the culture. We cannot go into our holy huddles and sanctified silos. We must tabernacle among them. Y'all, this is what Jesus did, and this is also what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Lord, Father, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world. See, some of, too many of us, are, we're hoping for this great escape. We can expect, uh, escape this dark world, but do you know that one day heaven is going to come and meet earth? Heaven will be here on earth. It won't be as it is right now. Hallelujah. But that's our final destination. Not heaven, by the way. That's the intermediate state. Another sermon series coming soon. 
God is going to dwell among his people one day. There will be no need for the sun, nor moon, nor stars, because God's glory will give off all the light. He has dwelled with his people, and he will dwell with them again. But in between the times, in between the two advents, we are to be incarnational. We must be in the world, but not of the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. But we must also be like the Apostle Paul who said, I became all things, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Friends, for the sake of the gospel, get a little uncomfortable. Man, I'm preaching in here. I wish I had some amens. For the sake of of the gospel, become incarnational. Get out your sanctified silo. Let's stop treating unbelievers like they have the cooties. They were just like you before you got to meet Christ. During Advent, we watch and wait. But here's the thing. We've got to be careful that we don't see watching and waiting as complacency and passivity. Watching and waiting doesn't mean be lazy. That was the problem in the Thessalonian church. They were so ready for the, the, the return of Christ that they were doing nothing. And Paul would say something like, if you don't work, you don't eat. Watching and waiting doesn't mean we do nothing. Watching and waiting means we work in the meantime. We must do the works of him that sent us while it is day, for night comes when no man could work. To wait, church, then, is to be on mission until he comes. To watch and to wait is to be on mission until he comes. So, that's what it looks like to model Jesus, but then... We also, not only should we be like Jesus, but we also are to be like John the Baptist. Like John, we prepared the way of the Lord by witnessing about the light so that everyone might believe in him. And friends, we witness in both word and deed. Advent must, be, must remind us that we are sent one. We are missionaries. Advent reminds us that we are witnesses. We witness in word in sharing the gospel, but we also witness in our deeds, our actions. That's biblical. We, we are witnesses in how we love one another. I didn't make that up. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. 
if you have love for one another. How we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is a witness to a watching world. I say this often, but do you know, before there wasn't an attractional church, do you know what was attractional about the church in the book of Acts? How they loved one another. These people loved each other so much. They were so sold out for this new movement called the church. They were so motivated by the gospel. Let me tell you how outrageous they were. They would sell all their belongings, take the proceeds, and lay them at the apostles' feet. I put my feet out here for anybody who wants to volunteer. And the Bible says that no one had need. And how they loved one another was attractional. People wanted to come and see what in the world is going on. What would make these people give up their possessions for the sake of one another? This is how we witness in deeds. We, 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 and we need to do a better job of loving one another. I just went into a whole nother sermon. Because I, I need to, I really wish I could lean in right here. To love one another means to take some risk. Ooh, I'm glad I just got paid. It takes a risk of getting to know somebody you don't know. It takes a risk of getting to know somebody that doesn't look like you. It takes a risk of getting to know someone that doesn't talk like you. It takes a risk of getting to know somebody that doesn't vote like you. It takes some risk. And hold on to all my introverts. It takes some risk. One of the reasons we don't love one another well in the church is because we don't know one another. And then we have the audacity to say, I'm unconnected or I'm disconnected at the branch church. Let me tell you real quick the solution to getting connected. Get connected. Stop waiting on a program, a policy, a system, a process, and do it. I'm not going to process you into loving one another. That's obedience, church. By the way, one program we have is bridge groups. But you can't love who you don't know. Not the way Christ wants us to love them. Not only does it take risk, but it takes sacrifice. Giving up your time. Rev, I'm busy, 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 and busy. And when I'm not busy, I'm busy. Here's the solution. Y'all getting too much today. Y'all ain't paid for all this. Here's the solution. Stop being so busy. 
Too many of us think things will fall apart if we are not involved. So much for Jesus. One thing that y'all have proven the last two weeks is the bridge can go on without Brandon. That's called excommunic calls for excommunication. <laughs> but, but, but I'm being sanctified and God is forming me and changing me. It's saying, Brandon, you, you, I've called you for this, but don't put your identity in this. I am God and I will build my church. My church is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, not on the rock of Brandon. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I want my job though. So don't y'all go nowhere. Don't get no pulpit committed together. Yeah. But just like with me in the church is how some of you are in your families and in your work and all, and all your extracurricular activities. The one thing we can learn to do, one thing that Advent can help us to remember is it's okay to say no. I, I got a series coming up. I got so many series. Man, we got to have more church around here. One series that I want to preach is on just one word, rest. Exactly. When you are count, putting stuff on your calendar, watch your team, y'all come up. If y'all come up, I'll stop talking. One of the things we need to start doing is when we're doing our calendaring and planning and stuff, we need to start planning rest. I turned to... Some of y'all mad at me right now. I will turn down a meeting so I can take a nap. <laughs> but see, the problem is y'all don't realize some of the, one of the holiest things you can do sometimes is to take a nap. God created. We just talked about him being the creator. He did it for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So don't tell me resting ain't godly. Commandment, Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That word Sabbath means to cease, to rest. I don't want all that. There is a biblical theme through Scripture. Guess where we're headed? To a better rest. Y'all, heaven is a better rest. That's where we're all headed to. We're going to rest from all troubling, all weariness. We're going to rest from the, the labors of this world. It's, we started with rest and we're going to end with rest. Guess what we ought to do in between? Like John the Baptist, we, we ought to love one another. I can't get too far into this because I, I told you it's another sermon. But like we ought to worship in word and deed. One other way we witness, excuse me, witness in word and deed. One other way we witness according to Jesus is by unity. Jesus in John 17, when he prayed, he said, I pray that they might be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. That's unity. And this is what he says. Here's his purpose statement 
or result clause that the world will know that you have sent me. There's a witnessing in our oneness, church. That's why gatherings like this matter so much. There are people from every ethnic not every ethnicity, but multiple ethnicities in this room. People from multiple socioeconomic statuses. Because all of that goes to the rear, goes to, to behind us when we focus on the gospel in our in Christness. What unites us, what binds us together is Christ. God incarnate. He is fully God. And if he's not, he's unable to save. And we are people to be most pitied. Let's stand.